This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Chris Kane, Senior Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer at Phoebe Putney Health System. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Laura. Delighted to be here. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare and really some exciting things that you're doing there at Phoebe Putney. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. I joined Phoebe Putney Health System in Albany, Georgia in April 2020, and it was a newly created position that our health system CEO decided the organization needed, and I was blessed to be invited to join the organization. I have been in healthcare for decades. I won't give you a precise number, but We'll just say I've seen the industry evolve from cost reports to DRGs and ACA, but about 80% of my career has been as a healthcare management consultant with various firms and 20% as a strategy officer with a couple health systems. And my background, undergraduate, I had a degree in economics and health policy And then I was deciding, well, what should I do? I had aspirations to be a hospital administrator, but I hedged my bets a bit when I decided to get an MBA with a concentration in health administration as opposed to getting a master's in health administration. But it all worked out, and I became a consultant in large part because the path to a job out of graduate school was easier as a consultant than it was as a hospital administrator at that time. So I have enjoyed the diversity of my career and the different organizations, be it the health systems I've worked for, two of those, or myriad clients around the country in terms of health systems. That's fascinating and what great experience to connect with so many different organizations across the country and really learn uh, from them as you're going into then, you know, your roles with health systems yourself. When you think about some of the things that you learned throughout your career, is there anything that has been surprising to you or what do you see some of the best organizations do, I guess, differently uh, to really put them on the top? I think, Laura, that there are attributes of an organization that you discern over time. Perhaps it's harder to do so as a management consultant unless you're doing a lot of projects for them, but sometimes it's the intangible. It's the discipline It's the calculated risk-taking and decisiveness. And I think that becomes essential for any organization, but particularly in healthcare and particularly these days with the uncertainty. I I think when people hear about someone working in strategic planning, they think that the person sitting in an office eating chocolate Hershey Kisses and staring at a whiteboard and thinking big thoughts, but that's clearly not the role Rather, I think what's been interesting about working in business planning in our industry is just the challenge and enjoyment of trying to pull together all the pieces, whether it's trying to understand operational implications of strategies or an organization's ability to execute. I think that's really been the most interesting. And Sometimes we associate scale with capability. I do not believe that's true. I think there's some very large organizations in healthcare that are not particularly effective, and there's some small ones that are nimble and innovative in their own right. It's so interesting and and great to have that perspective from someone who's worked with several different organizations. Now, considering what you're doing at Phoebe Putney, 
what are some of the biggest issues that you're following in healthcare right now? What's really top of mind for you? It's an interesting demarcation. I tell people that there is the core bucket and the cool bucket. And the core bucket for many health systems, including ours, is looking at some infrastructure and facilities. And in our case, we have a multi-year $150 million project to upgrade and expand our emergency department at our tertiary hospital, our NICU, and our intensive care beds. And so one might think, well, why are you expending capital for something like that? And the truth is our community needs this. It's been on the drawing board for a number of years. Our board was very prudent in setting aside funds for this purpose that accumulated. And so we're excited about that kind of project. And I'd say that falls into the core. Another project we're focused on is what we're calling the Living and Learning Center. And this is a collaboration with Albany Technical College in Albany, Georgia. And we are building a $40 million residential and classroom facility across the street for everything from nurses, LPNs, phlebotomists. And if you can imagine classrooms on the ground floor and 80 apartments in the upper stories of the building. And we're excited about that because it addresses a core challenge in our industry, which is the pipeline of talent, notably in clinical talent. And so those are some of the projects we're involved in. And as an industry, we probably look at the latest disruptor, whether it's Amazon or Google, and we say, oh, what's coming down the road and how might that affect a health system? And granted, one pays attention to those things, but I think in most communities in the United States, that's not creating anxiety. It's more, what are the fundamentals that enable us to continue to fill our fulfill our role in our case as a an essential safety net mission-based health system. And so I, I'm not staying awake at night worried about Amazon unless somehow they roll out a mobile ICU bed in one of their gray vans. I think we're focused on more broad issues. Others that we are very attentive to are physician capacity, the behavioral health available for the community is something that most health systems struggle, including ourselves, with getting the requisite clinical talent to address the need that we know that is out there in the region. So uh, all of those kind of keep our attention and we're doing our best to allocate the time and capital to solving those problems. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, and it's just so interesting um, to to think through what you've been able to do over the past few years, still committed to expanding, as you mentioned, the projects with the ED, NICU, and intensive care beds, um, as well as some of the new and interesting projects. And, you know, from your perspective, what is really driving that forward, especially as we know, there's so much right now uh, time and effort focused on how do we maximize our resources, obviously, the future is uncertain, but why did you decide to continue with some you know, pretty big projects, even as uh, we were in some challenging times, both economically as well as uh, just thinking about the resources that there are in healthcare, staff shortages, et cetera? In our case, these had been on the drawing board before I ever arrived, and, and now they're coming to fruition. But I would 
attribute the focus on these core projects to the foresight of the board and the execution skills of the management team. Because it, you're right, there these are arguably perilous times with the uncertainty, the access to capital, the margin pressures. But in our case, having these capabilities really is essential for the health status of our community. We're uh, a trauma center aspiring to be a level two trauma designation. We're working on that now. We're one of only six health systems in the state of Georgia that are regional referral centers for NICU. So babies in more than 20 counties are referred to us and we were just running out of capacity. So while it could be perceived as a risky strategy in our case, this foresight enabled us to have a balance sheet and the work plan necessary to execute. And I'd hope that we're flawless in our execution, but that may be a little too grandiose in our expectation, but so far so good. And I think the community is very excited about these additions to the resources of the region. Absolutely, I can imagine it will make a big difference for access to care in many ways. Now, I'd love to hear from your perspective, what are you most excited about and what makes you nervous? I think any of us in healthcare now could say we're very excited and we're very excitable, which gets to your point about nervousness. But what I've always enjoyed in my career is there's nothing more sacred and important to our society than healthcare. Now, maybe one could argue that agriculture is tied with healthcare and all acknowledge that, particularly in light of the agriculture that occurs in South Georgia. But I'm very excited about the increased emphasis on access and improving health status. There's a concerted effort in collaboration, whether it's with departments of health or hospitals and federally qualified health centers, but there's a, a joint vision that improving health status, rather than competing and creating redundancy, is the way to go. And I think that's a real positive and that makes me excited. There's the ongoing clinical innovation. Every year there are more procedures that can be done on an outpatient basis. And that's good. It's surely a positive for society that our healthcare industry is no longer hospital centric. And it means that we have to collaborate and even compete with other organizations, but that's probably in the best interest of communities to see that they have options and that everyone is striving to differentiate their offerings. So I'm excited about all those things. I'd say I'm nervous about health system continued access to capital. So even though at Phoebe, we have a strong bond rating, we've had good access to capital. If you look out five or 10 years and you anticipate that hospitals will be potentially more constrained, then you worry about access to financial capital and human capital. I'm nervous about the lack of investments in rural healthcare. In our case, we have a critical access hospital and we try to ensure that all of our service lines where possible have a presence at the critical access hospital. Not applicable, for example, in surgery since surgery is not done in critical access hospitals. But in terms of other elements of the puzzle, whether it's a, a rural health clinic or swing beds that are nuances about rural health care that are essential to the community and also innovative. I guess the biggest headache, Laura, looking to the future is the national payers, United Healthcare, Elevance, CBS Aetna, 
they have the scale and the cash reserves and the apparent objective to become providers themselves. So that makes me a little bit nervous because it's the rare health system that has the, I'll say, poker chips to make the bets that some of these payers are making. So that makes me a bit nervous. And I think I'll wrap with nervousness about just the complexity of healthcare, the business models, the regulatory oversight, all of those require resources that can detract from the resources allocated to bedside or office-based direct patient care. So that would make me a little nervous. And last but not least, the health systems in the U.S. are being asked to do more. So a specific example would be the social determinants of health. We're seeing accrediting agencies factor in considerations of social determinants in the assessment of one's future accreditation. So to be determined on that, but it's another area that we need to pay attention to and ensure that we stay out ahead of that. Absolutely. I, I think that's a really great point. And something I've always wondered about is, you know, when you do look at some of these social determinants of health and in additional areas where hospitals and health systems are providing services or connecting community members and, and patients with services that they hadn't been in the past, how much of that comes back on the hospital or health system in the community, especially thinking through a lot of that is not necessarily being paid for or reimbursed to the hospital. How do you really square those things that the community needs with the resources that you have and making sure that, you know, the organization can strategically continue serving the community in the best way possible while still, you know, I just can imagine those dynamics are really challenging. You raise the essential point. That's very astute, Laura, because the temptation is to say, well, if we're the health system and we're the largest enterprise offering health care by virtue of number of employees or number of assets, then that implies we ought to control or take the lead. And, and to your point, that just may not be possible. And so the critical success factors in my mind are finding a way to influence and participate, but not necessarily expect to reinvent the community's offerings from housing to food availability, but we can influence it in a small manner. And I can give you a specific example with CD Putney Health System is that we collaborate extensively with an FQHC in the area called Albany Area Primary Healthcare, and they are exceptional. And we are working on a joint effort where we would both have providers and other resources in the same physical location that would encompass intensive outpatient care where patients are assigned to the program and monitored to manage chronic conditions, be set up with everything from mental health support to social services, but an effort in a small scale way to have a major impact on community members that may be falling through the cracks in terms of access, in terms of fulfilling prescriptions and having oversight. And, and that includes food. We have some physicians who are championing the idea of food prescriptions. And we are doing community gardens and working with various, I'll say, health adjacent organizations. And so the challenge there is to have enough scale to truly have an impact when you're in a community with 
several hundred thousand people in the region, but you have to start somewhere. And we are excited by that and we, we monitor that and our board expects us to be accountable to say, if you, if you do engage in something pertaining to social determinants of health, measure your progress and report back. So we're up to the challenge, even though there's an inherent uncertainty in that initiative. That makes a lot of sense, you know, and is a really great way to think about that and put together the strategy of, of working with other organizations uh, to really highlight and um, amplify what's happening within the community already. And finally, before we wrap up our conversation, I know we've talked a lot about how healthcare is, some of the challenges and opportunities today, as well as how things are evolving within the healthcare space. And so from your perspective, what will most effective healthcare leaders need in order to be successful over the next two to three years, especially as you mentioned, as the physician landscape is changing, as new technology comes around, as you know, financial pressures ebb and flow, what do you really see as being important for healthcare leaders to embody and exemplify for their teams? The easy answer, Laura, would be to say financial capital, nurses, and other workforce, but I, I think that's too simple an answer. I, I would answer your question in a more qualitative manner. So I, I think that healthcare leaders need to be bolder. They need to take calculated risks. And that's hard to do because we have an industry and cultures in many organizations that have fostered a sense of incremental change is the way to go. And yet I think we need to be bolder. And a specific example is the portfolio of clinical services of health systems. Historically, health systems always add a program. They rarely take a retroactive assessment approach and say, perhaps it did not meet our expectations. Perhaps it's helpful, but not essential to our community. Then should we consider eliminating a program? And that may alienate some people, but I think our industry has reached that point that we cannot be all things to all people. I think a second area is the challenge of being technologically savvy, but avoiding the technology trap. And certainly through Becker's and your various newsletters, uh, you do an excellent job of educating people like me about what are some of the emerging trends coming out there in technology. And it seems that we're in an era where a new technological idea finds capital and there's a startup and they are reaching out to health systems and saying, you should try our product or our service. And I think the insight that has to occur with health leaders going forward is don't be distracted by a shiny object. What is your process for doing a pilot project or assessing partnerships such that you have the focus for your organization and your community and are not are distracted with an array of things? Because if you add technology to a bad process, you're still going to have a bad process. And the third element of what healthcare leaders need, I believe, is kind of your own foundational skills as a leader and an executive. And I've always adopted the framework that there are three items that one needs in their toolkit to advance our industry. Uh, first item is analytic capabilities, whether it's quantitative or qualitative. You need to be comfortable looking at data and making inferences. You need to be comfortable in interacting with people and reading the body language and the tone to discern what really is the meaning there uh, for your future steps. 
second item is communication, both written and oral. And I, I sense as a person in the latter part of my career that the premise that writing good text is a foundation for bringing a healthcare executive is clearly flawed. I think everyone needs to know how to communicate orally and written in a succinct way to convey your idea and why it's compelling. And the third element I'll just call industry context. Every health system executive or medical practice executive or health insurance executive needs to constantly scan and determine where does our organization and where does our industry sector fit into the bigger puzzle. And sometimes we can be a bit myopic, but one always needs to understand what are the branches of the decision tree in the future and how do you position and differentiate your organization for optimal success. And the last skill I would say, Laura, is just learning from other industries. What's out there that we can learn, particularly in the area of patient engagement and patient satisfaction? And I know a cynic would say, well, a health system can't look at Starbucks and infer what they ought to do for their ED patients. But I think there are some lessons to be learned in terms of training your employees and a passion for service and how does that translate into the healthcare sector. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it is really interesting to hear and think about. Um, and especially if you're looking at the other industries, whether it's hospitality or in the other sectors in general, is there kind of a, a number one lesson that you're trying to bring into healthcare or something that really is intriguing to you um, as a great way to move the industry forward? Uh, one of my colleagues just in the last week described it this way, and he, he was one of our CEOs in, in our one of our hospitals, and he said, how did we get into the habit of forcing patients to adapt to processes that were designed for the benefit of the hospital? And the example used was waking patients up at 5 a.m. Or, or pick an unusual time to draw labs. So his point was, uh, when will we re-engineer our processes to be more attentive to the needs of the patients? And I think that's a tangible example of how we as an industry sometimes adopt the mantra of this is the way we've always done it versus stepping back and saying, well, is there a different way that does not jeopardize clinical quality and safety, but modifies the imposition that we place on patients in some of our daily activities? That's a great example. And just really important to always be thinking about the patient and really um, improving the experience overall as much as possible. I know, you know, I certainly would appreciate that as a patient as well. So thank you so much, Chris, for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fun discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you very much, Laura. It's been a pleasure.